Live from Earth, it's Space Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your Agent of the Stars, we've got an exciting show for you today. Yeah, you can tell I've been away for a couple weeks because it's hard to get the words out, but we will get there together. Now, this show, we are going to talk about Proxima B, a radio signal? Mysterious? Could it be aliens? Oh no, I guess, oh man, I'm so excited, I can hardly talk, except I'm not. I'm really excited to rant about it. That's what I am. Now, this show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here at Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail to get yourself on the air. And I know I am way behind in voicemails. I am going to try to catch up one of these weeks. You can also follow along with our space cadets tuning in live from around the world. Such an amazing crew out tonight. To listen to this exciting episode, check out spaceradioshow.com for all the links that you could ever need. Now, let's get right into it because I need I need to take a breath because, you know, a rant is coming. A rant is coming. First off, if you're watching the live stream, this is such a cool image. This is provided by Netherwolf, uh, one of my supporters on Patreon. He saw that I uh, was going to make this. He's like, dude, I made this picture of Proxima B. This is the planet around Proxima Centauri, this star closest to the sun. It's about four light years away. We know it has a rocky planet in the habitable zone. And Proxima B and in the Proxima Centauri system is all in the news because there's this thing called the Breakthrough Listen Project. This is like a billionaire Yuri Milner, like in 2015, and say, hey, let's spend a hundred million bucks and let's find that ET character. And got a bunch of scientists on board. And what they do is they buy telescope time, radio telescope time from observatories around the world, and they listen. They're like, let's listen to that, and then let's listen to that, and let's listen to that, and then they comb through the data. So it's the same SETI program that we've been doing for over half a century now, except now someone else is paying for it. And they found something. We don't know a lot about what this something is. Now, I'm annoyed by this news for several reasons one there is no published paper about this there is no published paper the researchers are quote working on it so this is literally science by press release which is not how science is done you do science by peer-reviewed publication and subjecting your work to the evaluation of your peers and colleagues and having them run independent tests. You don't just talk to the media and say, guys, I think we found something. Oh, but we're working on the paper. That is beyond annoying. Wow, my live stream. Sorry, my camera shut off for some reason. If that just does that randomly, we're going to have to fix that. But anyway, moving on. So one step one, this is science by press release, which is super, super, super annoying. Two, they have no idea what the signal is. So so they caught the signal using the Parkes Radio Telescope in Australia. And they were hunting around the signal and they found the signal in the direction of Proxima Centauri. Now, it is not pinpointed on Proxima Centauri. They don't have enough resolution to actually pinpoint it on that star. 
which makes this doubly annoying. So we're at two levels of annoying because they found a signal coming from this direction of the sky. And then the, the interesting thing that we know of in that direction of the sky is Proxima Centauri. So they're saying the signal comes from Proxima Centauri when it actually doesn't. It comes from a general vague piece of sky that happens to contain, contain Proxima Centauri. So the signal can be coming from further away, from closer. It could become uh, be coming from the Earth. So that's annoyance level two. Annoyance level three is that the scientists involved and the people who are all excited about it, it's the usual characters uh, like Jason Wright at uh, Penn State is very big on SETI, very big on searching for aliens, you know, great scientist. I'll probably interview him someday on space radio, uh, but he was involved big time in that whole tabby star thing where they, they saw a dimming around a star and like, maybe it's mega structures. And everyone else was like, maybe it's dust dude. And he's like, no, maybe it's, maybe it's mega structures. It turns out it's dust. He's he's playing a big role in this. He's one of the leaders of this Breakthrough Listen project. And what is really, really irking me is they found this signal. So whatever, there's there's a bright radio transmission coming from this patch of the sky that has not repeated itself or repeated itself. They caught it like five times. They looked again at Proxima Centauri uh, or in this direction of the sky 30 times and five of them, they saw this signal. This signal typically does not have a lot of human man-made, uh, human-made radio emission so that seems that it's coming from off the earth. Now, whether it's natural, whatever. Okay. So, but there's still the possibility of this is human made interference and that's not being talked about enough. Like they're just saying like, well, it's at this frequency. And so, yeah, it's like not going to be human made, but like, come on, really? That's it. Like, that's all you're going to say is like, it's at that frequency. Therefore it's not human. Humans are capable of making all sorts of radio waves, dude, even when you don't want them to. Now the parks observatory is famous or infamous because years ago they were seeing these mysterious radio signals called peritons. And they're like, maybe it's aliens, maybe blah, blah, blah. I went on for years. Turns out it was the microwave oven in the visitor center. It was leaky. I am not joking about this at all. So that's annoyance level three is like of all the telescopes to find this weird radio signal, it has to be the parks, which turned out to be really good at detecting when people opened up the microwave oven too quickly. That's what you're going to hang your hat on. So we're at level three of annoyance. Level four of annoyance is that the astronomers are involved are trying to walk this aggravate, personally aggravating tightrope where they say, we don't know if it's aliens. We don't know if it's aliens. We don't know if it's aliens. But here we are talking to journalists about the possibility of extraterrestrial signals and finding aliens. You can't have it both way, scientists and world, whoever's listening, aliens on Proxima Centauri, if you're listening you can't have it both ways. You can't say it's not aliens at the same time you're talking to journalists about the possibility of alien signals. And when you have quotes, there are quotes from the researchers saying like, this is the most exciting thing since the wow signal. That means you think it's aliens. That means you want it to be aliens. And that means you are not communicating the actual science of your work. That means you are looking for, yes, I mean, your job is to look for alien signals, which is fine. But you can't come on without even publishing the paper, which it just boggles me. 
The paper isn't even out there for other people to scrutinize. You're not even done doing your work and you're like, yeah, we found a signal. It's, I mean, I'm not saying it's aliens, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That, that line, you just can't keep doing it. Look, they call it, they have a name for this signal. They call it the Breakthrough Listen Candidate One. You don't give a name like that to something if you're not hoping and wishing and wanting it to be aliens and then going around talking to journalists saying, yeah, it's Breakthrough Candidate no, Breakthrough Listen Candidate One, but oh, no, 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 we're, we're, it's probably not aliens, likely human-made interference or aliens, but we're going to call it Breakthrough Listen Candidate One. Huh? That that line that scientists tend to make, and it's not just doesn't just come about with uh, alien signals. It's uh, many fields of science do this in all sorts of different ways, where they want a result and talk about what they want the result to be while talking to journalists, allowing journalists to twist their words and to hype things up so that we get news articles talking about possible alien signals. And then they, they throw in the caveat that because that, they have to maintain some sort of scientific credibility. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, it's probably not aliens, but we're just going to look a little bit harder. Anyway, you can't do that. Jason Wright has this amazing quote in the article, a Scientific American article I read, said um, he doesn't like it when people say it's never aliens because then why bother looking? It's never aliens, so stop looking. It's, ne- it's never been aliens. The evidence for aliens, if, if you get this weird radio signal coming from the direction, the general vicinity of Proxima Centauri, And that's it. Guess what? That's not enough evidence to claim it's aliens. Even if you don't have an explanation for the signal, that is not positive evidence for the existence of extraterrestrials. Period. Just because you lack an explanation for something does not mean that you can assign an explanation to something. We don't know what caused the signal. That is where you end the paper. That is where you end the discussion with journalists. You don't even talk to journalists because you don't even know what you're talking about. It is a signal that you don't know what it is. So stop saying the word aliens if you truly don't know what it is. And if you're trying to be as unbiased as possible, but every time you say the word aliens, you're revealing your hand. You're saying, yeah, it's probably not aliens, but I really, really want it to be aliens. And so I'm going to talk to you about it, even though the paper isn't even published, let alone peer reviewed. It's not even published. Your data is not public. Your analysis isn't public. Your, your own work isn't finished. And yet somehow I'm forced, I'm not forced to read a news article about it. So yeah, it's never aliens. That's not good enough. So stop looking. Maybe that $100 million that is going into the Breakthrough Listen project could go somewhere else. Patreon.com slash PM Center. I don't know. I'm just tossing ideas out there. Man, I got myself fired up. Feel free to disagree with me. Feel free to disagree with me. And someday I would love to debate someone like uh, Professor Wright. And, and just talk about this uh, rationally in my views. And yes, uh, by the way, I am writing a new book. 
It's called The Sickness and Science. And one of the chapters, in fact, the chapter I'm writing next, which is one of the reason, reasons I'm all fired up about this, is science by press release and how it's damaging the relationship. That's why it gets me it's so emotional is like these kinds of statements, these kinds of press releases, this kind of interaction between scientists and journalists, when they want something to be true and want that big excitement, and then they talk to journalists and they accept interviews and they – and and then and every time they do that, it damages the credibility of scientists of all kinds worldwide because the public loses trust. Russell is asking me, one of the space cats, what would you spend $100 million on? Cheese, okay? I would buy, like, how, how much, what fraction of Europe can you buy? Can I buy Luxembourg for $100 million? Probably not. But can I buy some, like, famous cheese-making regions of France and just, like, ship it straight here or just I maybe I'd fly there on my on my jet. I don't know. I've got a hundred million to spend. <laughs> She's saying I knew it. I knew it. I, of course I buy bitches where do you get the thing? Listen. Uh Rock, okay, fair point. The public interest in science is enhanced, dude. You know what I said, dude, to some other people. So, Rocky, you're perfectly capable of calling me dude. The public interest in science is enhanced. You are correct. Lots of people are engaged and talking about, ooh, are there really aliens out there? That's cool. They're getting engaged for the wrong reasons. This is clickbait science. The headline does not match the content. People are getting excited, but it's an empty. It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's like candy. All right, this is potato chip science. Where you eat it and it tastes good for a moment, but then your body feels horrible. And now you're like, you have to have like 20 chips and you don't ever actually learn any science. So like, I think, yes, it is engaging the public, but it's doing it in a very, very bad and long-term damaging way. Dude, <laughs> zero is called. Dude, you can call me dude because I think I slipped in a few dudes. I may have called Professor Jason Wright a dude. dude. Like, dude. It's never alien, so stop looking. Let's spend the money on something else. <sighs> oh, boy. Yeah, Rock, Rock Howard has uh, lost a Patreon sub. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, my views, and a lot of people over the years, like I've had Patreon for, for many, many years, a lot of people have said like, oh, you talked about this, now I'm going to pull my Patreon subscription. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm sorry to see you go. I really am. I'm sorry. But um I'm not going to base my content on what maximizing my Patreon income, my support. I mean that when I when I do like TV shows and stuff, uh you know, or I publish articles, like that's for the publishers to work out. That's for the producers to work out. When it's my own stuff like Space Radio, Ask a Spaceman, you know, my blogs, my books, like that's just that's just me. This is my voice. This is who I am. And you can support it or not. And if you don't want to support that, more power to you. I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm not going to be upset with you. But, um, you know, and if you want to support, I really do appreciate it. Yes, uh, Heiko, sorry, this is such a, this has been big news. Heiko saying it was weird anyway that they leaked the info. It seems they wanted some public attention. Exactly. Like, this is weird. The paper's not even done. The work is being done, led by a graduate student, by the way. 
the signal was found by an undergraduate and the paper is being led by a graduate student. Listen, graduate students are great. I was once a graduate student. Graduate students are also dumb. I mean, this person, Sheikha Smith, the leader of is, is is a very smart, intelligent person. Absolutely. But like graduate students are like, like kids, like they get very excited. You remember the neutrino thing? From years and years ago where this experiment at the Grand Sasso uh, Laboratory in Italy found that neutrinos possibly traveled faster than light. Yeah, that was all led by a grad student. It turns out that they didn't plug in the cable all the way. I'm not, I'm not joking about that either. <sighs> yep, this is um, – yeah, this is – thank you. It will turn out to be a possum with a handheld radio trapped in a derelict Chrysler Baron floating between the Earth and Mars. That's our life, folks. That, that was it. That was it. It was the possum with... Dude, bro. Ah, oh, boy. Okay. Here we are. Here we are. Um, Yeah, you have to... F- Fake it to get big grants. That's that's another thing that I'm writing about in my book. The book is called The Sickness and Science. I don't know if I've mentioned that. That's another thing is that you have to you have to make these big results uh, to get the publishing, you know, to get the grants, to get me in the news. Um, I need to take a question. I need to take a question. We need to all calm down. All calm down here. Whew. Let's 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 do some science. Is it always this interactive? No, no, sorry. Sometimes I'm feisty today. I'm feisty today. Is it possible to set up an array of space probes or buoys in the universe that can communicate with each other and they're close enough to each other to where they can see each other, but the but the space probes of the furthest from us are beyond our observable universe. These probes are either wireless or maybe they're wi- wired with a really stretchy fiber optic cable is there any way to observe the observable universe um, with a space probe or buoy? Very, very cool question. I'm pulling up an image for the space cadets. And if you're listening to this on audio, well, you know, too bad. You don't get to see the, the, the pretty picture that I just pulled up here. Observable universe is about 90 billion light years across. You're wondering, you, you, you want to go past, you want to cheat it. You want to go past the edge of the observable universe. The observable universe is the limit of what we can see because the universe is only so old and light only travels so fast. So distant objects simply have had to not have enough time for their light to reach us. Okay. Yes, it's 90 billion light years, even though the universe is 13.77 billion years old, and that's because the universe expands faster than the speed of light, and that's exactly the problem with this setup. We live in an expanding universe. Every galaxy is getting further away from every other galaxy, on average. And the farther away a galaxy is, the faster it recedes from us. So if you look at one galaxy, it might be receding at a certain rate. You go twice as far that galaxy is receding twice as quickly. You go 10 times as far, that galaxy is receding 10 times as quickly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, at some distance, about 14 billion light years, that recession, that expansion will exceed the speed of light. This is not a problem. There's no restrictions on the speed of the expansion of the universe. It's just that 
All that means is that a very, very distant galaxy, if it's receding away from us at or above the speed of light, then if it emits some light right now, the light that it's emitting at this, at this moment will never, ever reach us. That light will never catch up. And then that's the problem with this setup, even though that's a very, very creative idea, and I give you a lot of credit for it. Because you'll link these probes together and want to send light signals between them. Well, we already have chains of probes throughout the universe sending light to each other. We call them galaxies. There are already galaxies outside of the observable limit, and their light will never reach us. So we can't see them. There are galaxies that are with, currently within our observable bubble, but are receding away from us faster than the speed of light. We can still see them now because we're dependent on the light that they sent in the distant past. It's just now getting to us. But we know where they are now. We know that the light they are emitting now will never reach us. So slowly over time, those galaxies will fade and dim from view. So unfortunately, your very, very cool idea to try to reach beyond the observable universe won't work because the universe is always expanding faster than the speed of light at some distance. It was worth a shot, though. It was worth a shot. Speaking of worth, worth a shot, please go to patreon.com slash Sutter. That's P as in Paul, M as in Matthew, Sutter as in, you know, Sutter to keep this show going. And also, if you are on the chat right now, if you're a space cadet, you can do a super chat over on YouTube. You can do a one-time donation right now. It's super fast. I'll give you a shout out on the air. And uh, it's super cool. It's it's super chat, so it's super cool. That's how that's how the world works. I am tired. Who's tired? Not you guys, because you're all listening. But I am tired. I am tired from that rant. I am going to be writing a couple articles about it, so um, stay tuned to my social media. I'll be writing on space.com, and I'll be writing on Discovery uh, for about this whole Proxima B nonsense. And that's right, I am going to call it nonsense. Let's go to someone else. Hi, Dr. Sutter. In your most recent show, you explained why, once we're past the event horizon, we have no hope of escaping a black hole because space-time itself is rushing into the hole faster than the speed of light. Well, that begs the question, where's all that down-rushing space-time coming from? It sounds like black holes are draining the universe of all its space-time. How do we keep black holes from eventually slurping us all up? Thanks. So I have to admit... A great, that is a really, really cool question. I have to admit, as I was listening to the question, I was pulling up images to show the space cadets and I typed in event horizon and, um, yeah, it came up with that horror movie starring Sam Neill. And so I, in like, you know, where like he doesn't have eyes and it's super gory and I can't put that up. I can't put that up. Although I was tempted because it was pretty funny. <laughs> Thank you, Andy Cowley for the super chat. I really do appreciate it. Now. I, I've, I've drawn this analogy before, and I can see where this confusion uh, comes from. You can think of a black hole or the boundary of a black hole, the environment around a black hole, as a place where space itself is flowing inwards, like, like a river flowing inwards, like water going down a drain. And the event horizon is the place where that inrushing flow of space exceeds the speed of light so if you want to leave you have to turn around and fight against the current but the current is going at the speed of light or faster than it and you can't ever escape this is a perfectly valid picture 
to look at black holes with. You can either have the standard like static picture with bending space and your, you know all that stuff, or you can imagine flat space that is flowing in words of general relativity. The mathematics allows you to float between these various pictures and interpretations. I really like this visual image because it helps me visualize what's happening around a black hole. And so you're asking like, if all the space is flowing into black holes, like what, where are we going to run out of space? Like if water going down a drain, we're going to drain the bathtub, right? Uh, space itself isn't like a, a finite quantity. It's not like a thing. It's not like molecules of water that go down a drain. This is just a way for us to express the language of the mathematics. So when we talk about space-time, when we talk about curvature, when we talk about flowing, when we use any kind of English words to describe what's happening with gravity, we're really putting words as a translation of what the actual mathematics. The actual mathematics just talk about distances and geodesics and metrics and, and, and Kronecker deltas and, and curvature and Christoffel symbols and all sorts of cool mathematics. So basically my point is don't worry, don't sweat it. The space-time isn't going anywhere, it's just a way to visualize it. And this happens with any kind of uh, gravitating system. You can imagine the environment around the Earth as space flowing towards the Earth, and that is what is giving us our experience of gravity. Uh, the only difference with the black hole is that inrushing flow of space never exceeds the speed of light. So, I think that I think that, I hope that answers your question. I, I really do. Um, I do need to eat some cheese because I am exhausted and I am hungry. <sighs> I'll answer some more questions. Don't worry, folks. The show is not over. Uh, there have been tons of space to get at questions flowing in that I have ignored because of that massive rant I did. I'm sorry, space cadets. Like, I don't intend to go on like a 15-minute rant, but then I just do. And now today's cheese is brought to us by my friends over at Dom's Cheese. That's D-O-M-S-Cheese.com. They are fantastic, mostly because... I mean, they're fantastic, but they're really good people. Really great crew over there. And also they give me free cheese every week, which is just, wow. This is a Muse Brabender. If I'm not pronouncing that correctly, too bad. I'm going to taste it anyway. Oops, some of it's, it's a little bit crumbly. Some of it's crumbled out of its wrapper. I'll have to pick that up later. Ooh, it smells, smells lovely. It does. It smells lovely over here. Now, this is a... What this, this is a Gouda. We all love Goudas, right? But this is a goat's milk Gouda, which is, wow. A goat's milk Gouda. That's not something you see every day. It is bursting, wow, with flavor crystals. It's uh, Sanin goats in the Brabant region of Southern Holland. The cheese is set in large wheels. It's wrapped in wax. It's aged not for super long as Goudas go, just like six months, six to nine months. At the Fromagerie Le Mousse. Oh, this is Betty Coster's work. It's creamy and earthy, and yet it has a caramely finish, according to my tasting notes. Well, let's do it. We'll answer some space cadet questions. Oh, this is good. Mmm. You know? That's not what I was expecting. Hmm. 
There are all these little flavory crystals. There is that caramely finish. Mmm. It's like Gouda in a goat's milk. Which is exactly what it describes. But it's like so creamy. And then you hit these like little crystals of salt or yum or whatever it is. I really like that. I really like that. Now, space cadets have been very curious. How far away is the cosmic microwave background? This is Ken Longsden. Flogsden. How far away is the cosmic microwave background? Sorry, I've cheated my mouth. Surface of last scattering. This, uh, we've been talking about the observable universe. The observable universe uh, is like 90 billion light years across. Just inside of that is the cosmic microwave background. That's like the oldest and furthest thing that we can see because anything past that is opaque. There is stuff there, but light can't go through it. So we can't see past this wall of the cosmic microwave background, at least with light. We can potentially see it with neutrinos or gravitational waves. And so it's just inside that boundary. There's like 90 billion light years across, just shy of it. Just shy of it is that what we call the surface of last scattering. That's where the cosmic microwave background was generated. Uh, Paul, how many languages? This is zero skull. Can you say cheese in? And how many countries have you had cheeses from? Hmm. Uh, fromage? Uh, what's the Italian word? Because I, 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 I'm blanking on it right now, uh, even though I've, I've lived in France and Italy. But someone's going to help me. Sorry. How many countries have I had cheeses from? Many. Many. Not as many countries as I've traveled to because some countries do not produce cheese. Uh, queso. There's another one in Spanish. So bad. It's just cheese, right? You just walk around this world and say, like, cheese. Or, you know, there's, like, some universal sign language word for it, right? And just say cheese. But I can do the fromage. Formaggio. Thank you, Visto Tutti. Of course, formaggio. Uh, formaggio, formage, queso. That's all I got in cheeses. Cheeses of the earth. Uh, Andy Cowley, uh, referring to this Proxima B, saying, do we think the signal is a supernova? No, we do not think it's a supernova. Uh, supernovas are very bright in light, in visible light, uh, not in radio. This is a, a spike at a specific frequency of the rain, radio. Uh, Larry Beckham, habitable around a flare star. Yeah, that's the thing. Like Proxima Centauri, this rocky planet in the habitable zone, like technically it's in the habitable zone of its star, but also technically its parent star like flares up randomly like crazy and just totally roasts that those that world. So yeah, habitable. We're going to put that in quotes. Um, Sir Little Wolf on YouTube, uh, you can't... It, it can rule out pulsars because it's not repeating on a regular basis. Um, it's also at uh, different frequencies that pulsars typically emit. Uh, emit. Uh, one more question before, guys, we wrap things up. Russell Niski is, how can galaxies disappear if we can still see the cosmic microwave background? So, yeah, uh, galaxies will over time disappear. So will the cosmic microwave background. Right now, it is at a temperature of about 3 Kelvin, 3 degrees above absolute zero. It is cooling off. That radiation is getting longer and longer. It is stretching out. Uh, so eventually, we're not going to be able to see the cosmic microwave background. That's that's really bummer. But that's 
But that's it. So we'll end there. So we started with a giant rant and we ended with the death of the universe. I mean, that's that's space radio in a nutshell. Am I right? Listen, if you have a chance, go to pmcenter.com slash store. You can get some cool mugs. Let's say if it's interesting. Hey, 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 hey. Am I right or am I right? If it's interesting, it's probably wrong. That's what it says on the mugs. And that's how I'm going to approach this Proxima story. If it's interesting, it's probably wrong. And so we'll wait and see month, see, see in a few months exactly how, why it's wrong. Also, you can buy my books, autographed copies, How to Dine Space in Your Place in the Universe. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can contribute. Thank you, Nancy Graziano, for wrangling the space cadets and producing this show. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit spaceradioshow.com. For more info, links to the live stream. That's right, Visto, Sutter's Law. If it's interesting, it's probably wrong. <laughs> In the episode archive, you can also follow me directly on Twitter and Facebook. My name is at Paul Matt Sutter. And of course, thank you again, Space Cadets, for listening and watching. See you next week. And remember, science, real science, actual science is for sharing. End of transmission.